before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode 12, when we talk to entertainment lawyer Rachel Gutman. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone deserves a seat at The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't don't let them stop. Stop you, don't don't let them stop you. Don't don't let them stop. Don't don't let them stop you. All right, guys, we have a really special treat today. We have our very first entertainment lawyer, which is exciting because as much as we like to talk about creative stuff, um, you have to have your business and legal in order. It is a must. And as a creative who started young, and I know Victoria can say the same exact thing, there are so many times in my past when I was learning where I was like, man, I really wish I had a lawyer for this. Amen to that. (laughs) So we have Rachel Gutman. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. So for those of um, our listeners who aren't super familiar with entertainment law and aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little background um, about what you specialize in and where you came from? Oh, absolutely. Um, So just to give a little bit of background and outlining, I actually began my career as a student at MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the Middle Tennessee area, uh, back in 2005. And that was where I discovered that I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. I had always been involved in music. I'm actually a a classically trained violinist, and I started playing when I was three years old. Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I actually remember asking my mom um, for violin lessons at Chuck E. Cheese after a family friend's violin recital. Rachel, you don't even know we've never talked about this, but I played violin starting at four, and I did not come from a musical family, and my mom tells me to this day it was the most random thing her four-year-old had ever asked for. I saw a movie, and I was like, Mom, I want to play the violin. Like, nobody I knew ever did that. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm not wow. the only one. Yay. <laughs> I was thinking very similar for me, actually. My parents are not musical at all. We have some musical family, mm-hmm. but um, it was a family friend. Mom's an opera singer. And um, the oldest oh. daughter was um, a violinist. I, I believe she still plays, actually. They now live overseas. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I just started playing violin. I've always loved music and felt a deep connection with it. But I realized um, around probably high school that I wasn't as passionate about performing music myself mm-hmm. as I was about helping creatives. And throughout my life, I had developed a skill set involving reading, writing, researching, and analyzing different issues. And that really comes from um, when I was a child, my dad owned a used bookstore. And so I used to get banana boxes of books and fill them up. I mean, you know, the banana boxes at the grocery store, those are the best for storing books, everyone. Just (laughs) a little tip there. Um, And so I would fill them to the brim with books 
and I would read, and I was, and I'm an only child, so I would read so much that eventually it just became like second nature to me. And I actually earlier today, um, funny story, I read an email and flipped something back quick today, and uh, someone on a team with me said, "How in the world did you read that that fast?" <laughs> and my response was, "I spent way too much time in the back of a bookstore as a little girl." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I realized maybe performance isn't for me, what else should I do? And so I started exploring colleges and my big light bulb moment came to me. Um, I was touring NYU, I was 16 at the time, and they mentioned the, at the time, brand new Clive Davis music business program. And it was like, I'm not kidding, it was like fireworks went off in my head. And it was like, this is what you're supposed to do this is the business you're supposed to be in. You're not a performer, but you understand mm-hmm. and you can take those skills and really help other, you know, other people and help creatives do what they need to do. And so I began to explore different schools. Um, I found, you know, I, I liked NYU, but I wasn't ready to just be in a big city. And so yeah. I started exploring different programs um, around the country. My, my parents and I did a few trips and uh, I eventually decided on Middle Tennessee State University, and I had the most wonderful four years there. Um, I, you know, I met my husband, who's in the music industry, and um, actually a lot of stories from him tie into a lot of women's issues, and we'll get yeah. to that a little later. Um, and all of my best friends, um, and I just felt, so, you know, it was just such a great nurturing environment. And while I, I um, fell in love with, and of course everyone hears this and they go, who would fall in love with this? But I'm a little unique. I fell in love with copyright law. Um, I actually still have my my handwritten notes from my copyright law class from spring 2007. And in the margins, I have my like doodles of different copyright concepts and how to apply them in the real world. Um, And one of those actually ended up being the model that Spotify built off of. It, um, It was just very fun for me to see how everything fit together and the big picture. And so I ended up going to law school um, after undergrad because I wanted to be an entertainment and music attorney. And um, of course I graduated in spring 2009. And as we all know, that was after the 2008 economic crash and recession. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to law school, I realized, well, I really like the law in general. I like all this reading stuff. You know, I I was having a little too much fun, let's just be honest. (laughs) And, um, And so what I did was I decided to just you know practice law and to find something that i enjoyed and to build out an entertainment and music practice with it so i became a litigator and i spent five years of my life defending major corporations insurance companies and public bodies in litigation matters in the greater new orleans area Um, and it was it was fascinating i learned so much about myself and i learned so much about being a lawyer and it was, it was just such a great experience for me. Um, but what I did at the same time is I built out a music and entertainment law practice. So I was with these, you know, mid-sized litigation defense firms. And I would go and I would say to the partners, hey, um, I know the music industry. I'm just going to start working with, uh, with music people. And I'm just going to help them out with copyrights or trademarks or agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, I would go and find opportunities in New Orleans to teach the creatives 
about the law. So I would go down to the lower ninth ward um, and I would go to the Ellis Marsalis Center where I would um, teach about copyrights, starting your business, trademarks. Um, you know, I, and I um, eventually took that and was an adjunct professor at Loyola New Orleans. Um, and then I ended up one day, um, and this is kind of the, this is my favorite part of my story, actually. <laughs> um, I ended up one day calling um, a, a lovely lady named Stephanie Taylor. Um, she happened to be one of my undergraduate professors at MTSU. And I said, Stephanie, I just want to, you know, be an entertainment lawyer full time. I want to come live my dream. In New Orleans, there's a lot of financial struggle and I can't charge these people to do this full time. It's, mm -hmm. they're telling me it's between their rent or paying me and I'm not taking anyone's rent money. You know, is anyone in Nashville hiring entertainment and music attorneys? And she made me an offer right there on the spot over the phone. <laughs> That's my favorite part of your story, too. I remember when you told me that the first time. I was like, wow, that is just such a beautiful thing of like kind of it all comes back around, like a beautiful karmic moment. Um, you put yourself out there and you did all this good and it came back around in a beautiful way. And you. yeah, and women helping women, giving opportunities and supporting and providing spaces to grow. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's what Stephanie and I, you know, are all about. And it's it's so beautiful to get to work with someone who's known me since I was, I mean, she met me at 19. Wow. And I'm now, in, I'm not one of those people who's shy about my age. I'm now 33 years old. And my former undergraduate professor is my law partner. <laughs> and that makes me wonder, um, when you first got boots on the ground in Nashville and you got to work your first case or your first client or whatever it was, um, what were the biggest things that you learned when you first got to practice? Because I know for me, when I worked in the industry side, it was like nothing like anybody ever taught in a book. And I didn't go to school for music, but we had interns that did. And it would be a kind of joke around the office to ask them what they learned in their publishing class or something, because they're, they <laughs> just kind of like bullet point what each job does and stuff and not one thing about like what it's like day to day. So what did you learn when you finally got to like really get into it? Oh my gosh. The first thing I learned is that the deals in New Orleans were crazy bad and that the deals in the actual music industry, I mean, look, you got your good deals and you got your bad deals. We mm -hmm. all know this, you know, everyone in this industry knows there are good and bad to every deal and there's a balance, but, whoa, was I thrilled that I wasn't getting like straight up rip off deals every day of my life. Mm -hmm. um, in New Orleans, I would say the majority of the work I did down there was me telling people, please do not sign this. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And probably not even charging them, just saying, send it to me. I'll just look at it. Um, I hope my former law partners don't hear this. Um, <laughs> but, no, they weren't my partners. They were my bosses. But you, get, you guys get the drift. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, you know, they're not all terrible. There's a balance in every deal that you do. And you have to understand, you know, where you're willing to compromise for that balance and what, you know, and where you're willing or where you're determined to fight and what do you value the most? Mm -hmm. You know, some people really value ownership, for example, copyrights. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Some people say, I don't need ownership of copyrights. I need money to keep me afloat right now. That's awesome too. 
Um, and so knowing that we can come up with that balance. It's picking your battles. <laughs> picking my ba yes, yeah. I'm very into picking the battles. Yeah. Um, and then also um, for me too, it was incorporating my litigation side into um, most of my entertainment practice now is transactional. So just as a basic primer, lawyers generally break down into two different groups. There are litigation attorneys who go to court and they argue you know, with each other mm -hmm. before the judge and they get a decision. And then there's transactional attorneys who draft the agreements and uh, draft various business documents. I do both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, that's not very common but I happen to be trained to do both of those things and I enjoy them both for different reasons. And what I love doing is I love incorporating aspects of my litigation career into what I do in entertainment. Mm -hmm. So to give you both an example, you know, there, there have been a number of instances where I used to do insurance work. And so I'll tell people, you know, I, I used to do insurance defense and insurance coverage work. I can read an insurance policy and tell you, if under most situations you'll be covered or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because of my experience in that, I've been able to help people um, avoid some very serious lack of coverage issues. You know, yeah. so there's, there's a lot of great things that I've been able to bring through into my practice from my past experience and then from my dream of entertainment and music. Yeah, it's like a, a one, not a one-stop shop, but it's, Diversity and so, a lot of times creatives, especially young creatives, don't know what they don't know and don't know what they need until you're in yeah. that situation. And yeah. it's really nice. I know for me and a lot of my friends when we're just trying to figure it out. And so to have people who are really passionate and also have some diversity and knowledge is awesome. Um, and I have a question about, so when you made that transition, I'm wondering because you are super diverse in what you do in your experience, not just music, not just um, litigation or business deals. Um, but you're also an incredibly positive person. You have this like happiness and this aura about you that is amazing. And you're also super driven and super matter of fact when you need to be and super like, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I've seen you kind of in action when you're passionate talking about things and it's awesome. And those things we've spoken with a lot of guests, sometimes those traits can be seen where in a man, they're super wonderful and positive and that's what people are looking for. And in women, sometimes they can be seen as aggressive and you know or when it comes to like positivity I know for for me I'm like I find myself sometimes going like oh if I'm used too many exclamation marks or too many positive things am I gonna be seen as like frivolous or something mm -hmm. um did you experience any issues when especially when you were younger but even now with finding that balance or having people around you um, not take you seriously or even transitioning from what you were doing in New Orleans to Nashville? So I love this question because this is an issue that I've been thinking about a lot, especially after listening to the um, prior podcast episodes that you all had released at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I run into this issue all the time. And, and I want to just share my perspective is that people want to be around and people are drawn to positive people. And I love sharing positive energy with the world. I think that it is something that if we all could embrace that energy in a productive way and use it to help each other grow, then we can uplift each other 
you know, as a society, as a group, as women, I feel very strongly about that. Mm -hmm. But I do, I do the same thing, Sarah. I look through my emails and I say, did I put too many exclamation points mm -hmm. in there? Did I use language that minimized me? You know, oh, I just want this. I use just way too much. <laughs> I do too. And, and, my, and my thing is, no, I'm not using just. I want this. Mm -hmm. I want this. Um, I've had a number of people, both when I was a litigator and in the entertainment industry, tell me, um, you know, you're so intense. You know, you're, you're a lot. I wonder, and, and I've said this to a number of people very openly, I wonder if I was a man, if the same thing would be said to me. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and it seems like traditionally women have been less assertive, less the negotiator, and that is something that would make you stand out, your ability to do that. And, and, it's, and I love the fact that you have a heart for teaching um, and equipping your clients with knowledge about what they're negotiating, what they're doing. You strike me as that kind of person who doesn't just do it for them, but explains to them what's going on. And I have to say, like, in my own personal experience, one of the most powerful things that equipped me with the ability to work in this industry and be educated about this industry was when I was negotiating my second publishing deal and my attorney was Linda Edel Howard and she agreed to sit down with me and walk me through the contract and explain to me everything that was in there in the initial offer and basically allowed me to negotiate it for myself based on what she taught me. Mm -hmm. And that was huge. That was huge. And I've used that ever since, you know, in, in understanding what to do and how to do it. So I love that. I love that you do that and you help equip people with that information. And sometimes people can expect that you don't know what's going on and that no one's going to explain it to you or you won't ask the questions and bank mm -hmm. on that to shortchange you and that victoria just reminded me of a flip side of that question which is what have you experienced for your male versus female clients things like you know women getting paid less or getting you know having the same kinds of degrees or experience and getting lesser titles etc it's the same kind of formula in the entertainment industry it just looks different because creative things and intellectual property can't always be put into those boxes have you seen deals for for women versus men that where the women totally got shortchanged or like the bad end of the stick and and you really had to be like hey this isn't right you wouldn't do this maybe if the situation was different so on a general level, first of all, um, I just want to address one thing real quick. Victoria, I love your story about your second publishing deal because that's what I try to do for all of my clients. And I'm so glad that you got to do that. Yeah, changed my life. Yeah, that's well, that's what we want to do. That's what I like doing for people. I want to change lives. I want to create opportunities and watch them blossom. So male versus women, on a, on a general level, I do want to share this. I have personally experienced discrimination based on being a woman, um, both in and outside of the entertainment industry. I'm not going to back away from that fact because that is a true fact of my life. I think it's important to also note my mother is a technology executive and um, she has experienced a number of situations in her career where when I was a little girl, she would come home and share things with me. And I've said to her before, mom, you did not work for over 30 years and put your blood, sweat, and tears into being a professional woman mm 
to watch your daughter go through the same thing. <laughs> and so I refuse to allow it. Refuse. So how do you refuse to allow it or how do you cope with it when it happens? Um, truly, I speak up. You know, people will say things to me all the time. They treat me like um, I get treated like I'm a, a kid sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of men in this industry, even non-lawyers, they love to explain to me how this industry works. <laughs> and it's always very fun for me to explain back to them that I learned that in 2005 when I was 18 <laughs> years old. And that I've been doing this for a very long time. Um <laughs> It happens to me constantly. Yeah. And, you know, the the way to hit back, in my opinion, is kill them with kindness. You know, uh, you, you never want one of my, my great mentors in Louisiana, his rule was never to get mad, angry, or upset. And I took that to heart. And I've used that as a tool and a skill to try to talk my way through these situations productively. To show people that just because I'm a woman, I'm not going to be reactive. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to scream at you or yell at you or throw a temper tantrum. I'm going to do my job. And I'm going to do a really good job. And that's what you're going to deal with with me. How is your comfort level with confrontation from, from a young age? Were you comfortable with it or did you have to get comfortable with it? You know what it is? I'm comfortable with confronting people on the behalf of others. I love being a service provider. Oh, and, uh, and my philosophy, too, about being a lawyer, I'm very, very grounded in the fact that I provide a service to my clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my great mentors who passed in 2017 um, taught me that a long, long time ago. She was a genius litigator in Louisiana, um, the first female partner at a rural firm out there. Um, and just a really strong woman. And it was it was one of those things where, you know, I just can do it for my clients. And I'm not afraid to do it for my clients. Um, I want them to get the best of the best every step of the way. And if that means that I have to look crazy or stupid or ridiculous to make that happen for them, it is my true pleasure and joy to do it. Mm-hmm. I love that because... I think we've we've spoken to so many women and, and Vic and I have had so many conversations ourselves about, you know, how do you stick up for yourself and stick up for others? And I am the same kind of person where I can like, that's the hill I'm going to die on. If someone needs protecting, if someone needs someone to stick up for themselves, I will be that person. And then a, I think a year or two ago, really specifically, I had this epiphany where I was like, I don't do that for myself as much as I do it for others. And I need to get better at that. And Nashville, it was right around the time I moved to Nashville and I was like, okay, no one really knows me here. Like, it's almost like you can be another person and really test out the waters of coming into your own voice. Um, and I, I love that. Do you struggle with that yourself? Are you a little more reserved or have you been in the past? Or are you just like, nope, this is me through and through? For me personally, I am not a great advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. The deals, I will be very real. What I do for myself is not the best. I could probably use my own lawyer or manager <laughs> in life, to be quite honest. Um, for everyone I work for or with, um, I can be a bit of a beast. 
because I want them to have the best of the best every step of the way, the best I can get them. You know, and I always tell people, there's no guarantees. You know, I can't get you a perfect deal, but I can do everything I can to get it as right as possible. So turning it to talk about your experience with your clients then, do you find that you are fighting a different set of battles on behalf of your female clients sometimes than on behalf of your male ones? And can you talk about that a little bit? I'd love to, because that is a very true reality for all of us. Um, One of the things that you all had mentioned um, in one of the episodes, or maybe more than one at this point that I listened to, um, was publishers not signing as many women and publishers having their one female on the roster. Yeah. That is not a myth in my experience either. Um, And what I will say is that there is a whole different set of battles for women. Um, In my opinion, and and this isn't just for the music industry, it's for every industry, women have to work twice as hard as any man. We essentially have to clone ourselves and then somehow raise the kids too if we have them. Um, That's why I only have four dogs. But we have to, you know, we have to fight so much harder to get ahead. We have to go to the next level. I have, I have stories from when I was a litigator, and, and of course, you know, the people I work for would probably freak knowing this, but I would wake up at 4 a.m. sometimes to draft motions just to knock it out the park. I would spend hours on weekends going through and researching issues and coming up with new arguments and new ideas, and I knew my male counterparts, for the most part, were not doing those things. And even what I'm doing here in Nashville, um, you know, a number of the things that I'm taking part in, whether it's connecting songwriters with one another or making myself available for, you know, young creatives, I'm not seeing that as much from my male counterparts. Mm-hmm. But I'm out there every every day and every night, and I'm on all the Zooms now with COVID. I do not go out now. Um, I'm very much, you know, stay at home and be safe and. Also, my, my husband's a recording engineer. I need him in the studio. Um, but I, um, well, actually, I need him in the kitchen where he belongs. <laughs> um, and he, he, always, he always loves and hates when I do that, but he's used to it. The poor man's been with me now for like 12 years. If he didn't go into this knowing who he married, that's his fault. But, but no, I think um, I, I do see the women have to work two, three times harder constantly especially victoria and sarah you know just to acknowledge and i know victoria you have a long history of this female songwriters mm-hmm. my god do y'all ladies have to put in the work and even you know even if you guys have you know a killer song there's always a question of well can she write for men you know is is this really going to be relatable well we need all voices in the room we need we need the different genders and we need also, you know, to diversify this more, we need different sexualities. We need different races. We need different socioeconomic experiences. Those writer rooms cannot continue to be a bunch of homogenous white men. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. It can't. Now, of course, you're look, there's always great men, just as there are great women. There are always great men. And I'm a supporter of, you know, if there's a good man who does things right for others, I will always support that man, but we can't just have a group of, of men in the room anymore. 
We need to speak to our country and our world. And our world is majority female. Yeah, I think that's a a great point to make because I remember a couple years ago, one of the publishers that I've been fortunate to work with, he was the very first publisher to ask me for a meeting, not for me to ask them for a meeting. And so it was very special. And I remember maybe a year and a half ago going into the office and playing some songs and he he and I he's very sarcastic and and um he was like man that's a great song you you've really improved over the last six months or something and he was like man I'll tell you the women in Nashville are killing it y'all are turning in so many incredible songs and he's like no if you tell anybody I said this I'll totally deny it but man the men are are slacking there I'm just not hearing anything I'm excited about everything sounds the same if I hear one more whiskey song I'm (laughs) I'm gonna roll over and just give up like you said not to say that there aren't fantastic men I think Nashville's in a a change period where they're kind of starting to value quote-unquote real writing more um and that also makes me wonder for your experience because you guys handle both country artists and writers and also more pop hip-hop has there been a difference in your experience between genres oh yes oh without a doubt I have I have I mean what was it um Victoria you were the one telling the story on on another episode about um a write that you were in where um where nobody asked you to introduce yourself and then this guy walked in and was like hey and everyone was like who's the guy (laughs) I can't tell y'all how often that happens to me it is absurd. I will be at events. Personally, I'll be at events. And I know a good number of, I don't know everyone, but I know a decent number of people, you know, and, and it's so strange. You know, I can usually find people I know, but I remember a couple of particular, you know, times where maybe I was earlier than most of my friends. And I would just walk up to, you know, a couple guys having a conversation and try to step in because I don't care. And I'm not afraid. So I would go do that. And I would say easily half the time, they pretty much tried to ignore me. And um, I don't forget stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That just lives in my head forever. And it's, it's unacceptable how that stuff happens. I do see it much more in country. I hate to say that, but I do. Um, But at the same time in pop music, you know, and and in every genre, we have our own concerns for, for, you know, women, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's safety concerns, you know, do we, can we put this, you know, young lady in a co-write with this guy and is it safe? Mm-hmm. Um, should we have one of her friends be one of the co-writers as well, just to make sure that everything is, you know, above board? Um, I think through a lot of stuff like that, more Gosh. so than I think a, a lot of, I, I know more so than males would. Mm-hmm. I never even thought about that, that aspect of it, but that makes total sense that you'd have to consider that. That, I think it's become, at least in my experience, Vic, tell me if if you've had similar or different experiences, but um, because track guys and producers are becoming more common in Nashville period across genre, um, and with things like Uber and Lyft, where everybody's a little more accessible, I know for me, I've had experiences where I had a co-write that got pushed back till kind of in the evening and I don't have a car so I would Lyft or Uber 
and they were kind of out of town and they're like oh yeah and I'm like technically I'm free but I don't want to lift out 30 minutes out of town to a house I don't know and a house mm-hmm. full of guys I don't know and be there for hours until late at night and then try and hope I get a lift home and all that stuff and I was trying my best to make up every excuse because I wasn't going to be like, I don't know you and I don't 100% trust you. Um, And it's so weird. I explained it to a a producer friend of mine and he was like, I've never thought of that in my life. I'll be there till 3 a.m. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Quite often, like you were saying, with (laughs) the fact that so many collaborations are are happening with track builders and Mm -hmm. producers now, it's not happening in the studio on Music Row during regular office hours necessarily. Yeah. It's happening at their houses, in their home studios. You're going to strangers' houses and writing there, and it's you know a, a pretty intimate process when yeah. you're writing with somebody. And sometimes signs can be misread or misunderstandings can happen or worse. And while we're on this, because Rachel, I love that you brought this up because not every single person is open to talking about the thought process that goes behind some of those co-writes. You work with a lot of women. Um, You represent a lot of women and are really hands-on in the creative process sometimes too. Um, And I remember one of my very first times in Nashville, I was like 17, 18, um, and I did have a couple of older country writers. I went into a session. I was super excited. I thought it went okay, but the guy wasn't really talking to me much and, you know, whatever. And I heard later from a mutual, like, friend, they were like, oh, yeah, they just said that they thought you had incredible talent and were a great writer, but... Um, they were too distracted by how beautiful you were and they couldn't focus. And I was like, I didn't know how to feel about that because I was like, I mean, I'm not flattered because I'm just like, that's such a weird thing. And I have, especially in the last like 10 years since I've been working in LA and Nashville, whatever, I've been in the room with some pretty insanely gorgeous men like the entertainment industry is just full of them guys you can't get around it not once have i been unable to write a song not once no it's just creepy and unprofessional to say <laughs> yeah, that I was grossly like, unprofessional and they were a lot older than me i was like a teenager I was yeah. Like, yeah i'm just so curious if you've had experiences like that on behalf of your writers because sometimes the business side hears more of the actual why or why not than the creative side does um, I'll put it this way, on a very general level. I've certainly heard very similar, if not identical, stories to what you've just described, Sarah. And what I will say is I do, and, and people who work with me know this, and if they don't know this, well, they're about to find out. Um, I do a lot of testing with people that they may not necessarily realize that I'm doing. Um, I work with a number of developing writers, um, mostly pop. I will say it's primarily pop, but there's a few country people in there too. And what I like to do is as I start working with people, I set them up on co-writes. And sometimes it's just truly a random like, hey, I think you two guys would get along really well together. Go and get a beer and write a song and have some fun. Um, And other times it's, oh, you want to work with this female client of mine? Well, I need to set you up with so-and-so first, and you're going to need to just trust me. And I've, I've straight out said that to people because I am incredibly protective 
of young women. And I, and I think it comes from um, uh, my experiences in life. So I am a, um, I have two black belts in Taekwondo. I used to be a competitive fighter. Um, so I was incredibly trained in, uh, in self-defense. Um, and I have a number of really entertaining stories that probably should not go on this <laughs> podcast about that. And then, uh, and then I, you know, I was also just raised, I was raised by a really, you know, both my parents are, are very aware of the issues that women deal with, but I was raised by a very strong mother who had, you know, a lot of opinions and thoughts and, uh, both my parents served in the military. That's where they met. And so, you know, in my mom, um, decided to train with the Marines because she wanted the hardest training possible in the military and she was not a Marine. Um, And so I grew up in an environment where um, it was okay. It was more than okay. It was expected to speak out. It was expected to say things. It was expected to do the right thing. Um, You know, when I went to, when I went to college, I remember, you know, I'd go to parties with my friends and we all would come together and we all would leave together. And that's how we did it, you know, and, and I tell mm-hmm. young ladies all the time, if you're going to go out with me, I'm going to make sure you're safe because you will be coming home with me, mm-hmm. you know, wherever your home is, you will be dropped off safely at home and we will make sure that, you know, that you're comfortable and that you will never do anything that makes you uncomfortable. And if that's an issue, come get me and we will take care of it together. I've seen a lot of stuff. I've been in a lot of situations, both myself and things that have been reported to me over the years. And I just feel very strongly, I I feel very strongly that we women, we have to look out for each other. We have to, you know, you go to the party, you go together. If one of your friends drinks too much, you ride home in the Uber or Lyft with her and you get her into her place and then you go get your own Uber or Lyft. Um, You know, if you see a friend and she looks like that her drink's been spiked or something, you get her out of there. You know, you get her comfortable and you get her out of there. Um, but we have to take care of each other because this world is incredibly male oriented and male dominated still. And the only way that we can really do right by each other is to do for each other what the men have done for each other all these years. Just like we have the good old boys club, we need to together come together, share information, share stories, tell each other, yo, you know, you want to go right with so-and-so just watch it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, there's, yeah. there's no need to post that on social media. There's no need to get all, you know, crazy and public about it. You know, it, it just, you need to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that you're saying that. And I love, I mean, it reminds me of, of what Mickey Guyton was saying about, have, have you seen how black women are standing up for each other and protecting each other and being vocal? And that's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do for each other. Um, both inside the industry and everywhere. And I think that's a really, I, I've, I've never heard anybody talk about it that way and comparing it with quote unquote, the old boy network, but we need an old girl, young girl, every girl network. <laughs> I've told everyone and a friend of mine in this business and I have a joke that we look forward to uh, to Foundy and launching the good, good old girls club. I love it. That's what we're hoping to, and she's going to hear this. She's going to laugh her face off. But that's, that's truly like, that's what we need though. And it's not, it's not to the exclusion of men. You know, I'm never, I'm not one to be like a militant. I, I am a feminist and anyone who challenges that term, we can have a long discussion about what feminism actually means. <laughs> but 
Um, you know, I'm not militant, you know, female only. I'm a big believer in diversity. I, I have a wonderful husband who has watched what I've been through over the years and has become a beautiful advocate for women where he and I can get together and I can say, Nick, I need you to go on this project because this woman needs someone to, you know, help her express her creative voice. Can you help her? Instead of stepping in like most men do and going, oh no, you need to put this, the guitars here and the vocals here and this here. Can you just be the conduit for her? And he does that so beautifully. And I get so many great compliments about it. And I'm so glad because that's what we try. That's what, you know, I really try to do. And I'm so lucky to, to be married to someone who agrees with that philosophy. Yeah, that's a special talent. And, and that's, a, that's a really important ability in any kind of creative collaboration, um, especially when you're working with female artists and particularly young female artists to help magnify their voice and, um, and listen to what they have to say and let them steer the ship. And um, because it's so easy to step on that. I, I love that you brought up being a conduit for that because for me that was something that was really missing in my early career and I had a lot of experience where I'm I'm only worked with one woman in, in my five years working in LA and um, I had a lot of experiences where I was told that my uh, creative instincts or tendencies were something that I needed to unlearn because that's not how it was done. And I'm self-taught for the most part. So I just go with what I feel and think is going to sound good and what my instincts are. And I had a lot of people turn things into what I didn't want, but I didn't feel like I could say anything because everyone around in this crew was like, yeah, sounds great, you know? And coming to Nashville and having a fresh start and also just getting older and getting to find conduits to my creativity, all of those things that I was told I should unlearn or change are now the reasons I'm asked into sessions. And I know for me, because I had those experiences at such a young age, there's been a handful of times in just the last couple of years where I've seen young female artists in projects and I oh my goodness like a sore thumb sticking out saw the red flags of exactly what I experienced and I remember you know sharing an uber home one day with one of these women and I was like hey how's it going how's this person working out for you what does this feel like are you enjoying etc and she would do the roundabout which a lot of women do was like yeah it's great it's fine but you know this but it's fine and those are the things where if we're a little more conscious of the experiences of other women or for men listening, experiences of anybody, um, you can pick out those things if you really want to look. And we ended up having a chat and we I ended up, you know, speaking with someone on the team. She's like, hey, you should check in on this and just see how it's going. And they ended up switching because the person was like, I didn't realize they were having this experience. I had no idea. They said everything was fine. And I think that's so important that you bring up being a conduit and being a champion for helping someone use their voice when maybe they don't know how to. Um, because I know for me, when I did come across those people, it was life-changing. Rachel, are there is there any advice that you would want to give to up-and-coming creatives? What would you like them to know or learn or understand? 
The first thing is, um, at least during this pandemic, the one thing I've been trying to tell people, and I realize that it's you know hard to hear and believe, it's way easier to say, it's going to be okay. That we are all on a path and a journey right now and we can't control what's happening. We can just keep going down this road. And this path is part of our adventure in life. And you know, you're gonna have to keep working hard and building relationships and being a good person, um, which is such a critical part of this business. For people who, who genuinely succeed, it's always the biggest of the big names who are the kindest people. And I say this from both my experience and my husband's experience in this industry. Um, but it's, you know, it's part of our journey right now to be in the middle of this pandemic and to not be certain of, you know, what the world is going to look like within an hour or tomorrow. And so we just have to embrace it you know, channel it into your creativity, channel it into your spirit and let yourself express how you're feeling. You know, that's what, that's what you need to do is harness this much easier said than done, much easier said than done as is everything in life. Um, the other thing is I always tell men, you know, pay attention, watch what's going on. Um, you know, my husband had no concept of this stuff of what women experience in business and then when I started practicing law, I'd come home and just tell him a little story here or there. And he'd say, are you kidding me right now? That never would have happened to me. And he's like the quietest, gentlest, most humble man. And he'd be like, is this a joke? This is ridiculous. What do you mean that happened to you today? And so his eyes opened by hearing what I was going through. Um, and so what we need is we need men to listen. And we need you know, men to really take action or maybe not take action, pull back a little bit. Don't make that comment about the production. Let that female, you know, writer, artist express herself the way she wants to. Um, but we need to be kinder to each other and we need to give each other grace. And we need to all understand that what our society has communicated is okay, is not always okay. And there's nothing wrong with breaking down the walls and breaking boundaries to do the right thing because that's how we become better and that's how we become stronger whether it's as people as writers as artists as creatives in every way um so that's what that's what i tell people a lot of the time i'm inspired i love that I, and i love what you said about the pandemic and that it's going to be okay because that's something that i keep telling myself that whenever i've gone through anything traumatic and awful in the past that if I could go back and visit myself back then, I would say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And so I keep trying to tell myself my future self right now, somewhere out there is going to want to come back and tell me it's going to be okay right now. And I try to remember that. Absolutely. Rachel, just before we get to our wrap-up questions, our rapid fire, um, to bring it back to your expertise, do you have any things that you're like, Okay, creatives of any age, any type of entertainment, when it comes to legal stuff, XYZ is the first thing I would recommend or the biggest thing I would keep an eye out for. Do you have anything that sticks out for you? My number one thing, and I always tell this to people, I don't care if you work with me or someone else, this is what I always tell people. Please, please get a qualified and experienced attorney in the field that you're going into. If you want to go into music, find someone who's actually experienced in music. 
there are a lot of people in this industry and and by the way a comment for all of the listeners um malpractice insurance for entertainment attorneys is some of the highest in the legal business and i think i don't have proof of this but i think it's because of what i'm about to describe so a lot of people want to be in the entertainment industry it's cool it's hip it really it isn't it's not glamorous i sit at my desk just like every other lawyer and i deal with paper documents just like every other lawyer it just happens to be for music people which kind of the cool part but I always tell people get someone who knows what they're doing you know get someone who's qualified and experienced because I have seen over the years someone will come to me and they'll say oh I did this deal like three years ago with this random attorney out of Arkansas and clearly I'm making some of these facts up random attorney out of Arkansas helped me do this deal what do you think oh oh I can't tell you all how much my heart breaks some of the worst deals I've seen in my life in those situations I mean truly um, career ending career ending like you're thinking you're starting your career and the deal is essentially the end of your career that's the deals I've seen sometimes and so I always tell people please just get someone qualified and experienced I, I you know if you like someone who's super aggressive I'll help you find someone super, you know, you want someone who's going to go in there and just start yelling at people and throwing, throwing papers around and going crazy. I'll find you that person. You know, if you want someone who takes, you know, the approach I take is very much being friendly, but firm and going through the entirety of the deal and, you know, giving a full picture perspective. If that's what you want, that's great. If you're not interested in learning about the details of your deals, maybe I'm not the person for you because I like to go through your entire deal and, and my clients know this. They'll probably, if any of them listen, they'll laugh their faces off because they know I go through their deals with them paragraph by paragraph, line by line. And I do that because I think it's critical for their business. And some of them have even said to me, I don't think my friends with deals have done this. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool. I'm going to do it for you. And you don't have to pay me anything extra. I'm just going to do this. So I just would never want to see someone do a deal without having an entertainment attorney on their side. And for anybody thinking, I know cre uh, creatives especially can kind of be like in the moment minded. If anybody's thinking lawyers are expensive, just imagine how expensive it is to get out of a bad deal or try and get your intellectual property back or all that stuff. It's you got to think long term with this stuff. One of my dearest friends, actually, in one of the most incredibly talented singers I've ever met, signed a bad record deal very early on in her career and subsequently was basically discovered by one of the most powerful, successful producers in Nashville who wanted to make a record on her and could not do it because she was in this other deal and ended up having to go to court and had to pay a settlement that took years and years and years and years for her to pay to get out of this deal and she missed her opportunity for the career that she wanted to have because of it. So um, there's a personal experience right there that's connected with, with that and she just didn't have a good attorney when she made the deal in the first place, but it's absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial to do yes. that. Get a lawyer, guys, get a lawyer. <laughs> what, what a heartbreaking story, Victoria. I see that all too often and all too much in this business, sadly. So we end each episode with five rapid fire questions. So question number one, who is your favorite creator at the moment? Truthfully, I am working with a number of creators right now who are blowing my mind. 
where I, I truly listen to their music in my free time, almost to a fault, um, where, where I'll be like, I just need like some, some music to, you know, get hyped to, um, for the zoom event, because let's be honest, no, I'm not going to any parties. So it's all like me on zoom, yeah. having a, having a truly or a white claw on the zoom, you know, for a happy hour. That's, that's about my life. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I'm just, I'm so inspired by the pop community here in Nashville. I am so deeply inspired by it. I think that the growth I have seen from the pop community since returning here in 2018 and what I have seen some of these people do in the last, you know, a little over two years, it's incredible. With everything going on with this pandemic, it's such a struggle because a lot of publishers, and I say this publicly and, you know, I I will never name names, but a lot of publishers, they are not signing new writers right now. Mm-hmm. And so what we have is we have this beautiful burgeoning pop scene. So that's my inspiration source. That's where I really, that, those are the creatives I admire because they are putting in the work to break through a new market. And I think it's going to happen. So what is your favorite trend currently? My favorite trend is, um, you know what I love? I love all these music artists and celebrities giving back to nonprofits right now. I mean, let's be real. Touring is the majority of income in this industry. We all know it. And they're not on the road. And instead of saying like, oh no, I don't need to do that. I should be monetizing this for myself. So many of them are giving back. And I appreciate, and I'm, I actually work with a nonprofit here in town um, for fundraising purposes. And it has been such a joy to see all these beautiful people who, who are, you know, really well known, you know, international stars. And they'll just be like, sure, we'll go and do this for you. We'll do this virtual event for you. So I love it. I think it's so beautiful. Um, And I think it's in such a message about what this town is about. How about, um, how about trends that you wish would stop? Anti-maskers. Oh, yes. (laughs) We in Tennessee need that so bad, guys. Just wear a mask. (laughs) And it's just a matter, it's, it's not, it's a matter of common courtesy. It's a matter of protecting your fellow citizen. Like, yeah, there might be nothing wrong with me, but why would I want to put someone's grandma or someone's parent who might be immunocompromised? You know, we don't yeah. know what's, you know, just because someone looks healthy on the outside doesn't mean that they don't have an autoimmune disorder or they don't have a heart condition or, you know, we don't know. And we as a society need to have more empathy and kindness for each other. 100%. I love that. Um, all right. The last time you failed. Like every day of my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you know what I, I try to do and, and I, you know, I wish I could get more particular, but I kind of can't cause some of this stuff is client related. Here's what I will say though, on a general level, I, I make mistakes all the time. You know, I'm only human. And by the way, it's so much easier said than done for me because in my head, I'm always expecting a lot of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to do great work. I want to be great. I just want to do good things for people. And so it can be a bit of a challenge. Um, But what I try to do with failures is I try to view them as much as possible as opportunities. You know, let's say that there's, you know, some kind of election for a board I'm on and I don't get it. I genuinely, and I say this to everyone and this is truly how I feel. I genuinely look at it as the universe had something else in mind for me and there's something else coming and it's okay. It's not you personally. It's just 
this is how life's going to be. Yeah, I've actually read some parenting books recently that really emphasize the need to normalize failure and have it in your conversation with your kids about what did you try to do and fail at today? <laughs> you know, because then it's like you're encouraging risk taking, which is important. So if, if you could go back and visit yourself as a younger you, what advice would you give yourself? Advice that I should take now as well, which is chill out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's so funny. People who people who knew me when I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen, early twenties, um, the joke that we always make is, "My gosh, you were so intense back then." And I'm like, "Yeah," and I still am. <laughs> I I just learned how to control it a little bit better, a little bit better, so that you don't realize how crazy it is. Um, I I spent many years not being sure if my dream of doing entertainment and music law the way I do it now would ever come true. Um, and I went through a lot of ups and downs, you know, on that dream and moments where I said to myself, is this really ever going to happen? Am I spending my life the way I'm supposed to? Am I sharing my skills with the world, you know, as I should be? And so what I'd go back and tell myself is that the journey is worth it. And the journey will make me a better person. And at the end of the day, that's all you could ever ask for. That's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Rachel. Sarah and Victoria, y'all are fabulous. Well, it was wonderful talking with you. We had a blast. And thanks for sharing all your wisdom. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeForest, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you.